We're going to turn to the scriptures. Acts chapter 9, <coughs> verses 10 through 16 is our primary text for this morning. Please read along with me if you, if you choose to. It's okay if you don't. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you for the reminder through that song that you do beautiful things in the midst of the lives of people who may be confused or even broken by life. Thank you that you don't expect us to figure everything out all by ourselves that you put people in our pathways who point us in the right direction, who provide the next nugget of truth we're searching for, or who every once in a while over a cup of coffee will sit down and explain how it all makes sense and how the pieces of the faith puzzle come together. There are probably some people in this congregation this morning that are going through that same journey thinking some of this makes sense some of it I struggle to understand. Help me. I don't want to be the only person here to whom Jesus doesn't make complete sense. And there are others who are here, Lord, who are asking, what's the next step you want me to take? How do I dive in deeper and, and grow deeper in my faith? And Lord, we ask that you will continue to nudge and, and point people in the direction you want them to move toward there are some here this morning who could hardly open their mouths to worship. The pain they're carrying is so bad. The hurt is so deep. But just to be here in the presence of people who know you, who experience the joy that you can bring into life, that in itself is healing. We pray that your strong arms will surround, even though words are not spoken, even though uh, some don't even dare to tell others how much they're hurting. But that your power through your spirit will meet each and every person where they're at. Lord, thank you for the people in our lives 
who we love, who we care about, who either resist you or have walked away from faith or who are just not interested. We bring their names before you right now, quietly, where we are, asking that you would work in their lives and that there would be a breakthrough. And now as we look into your word, help us to see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, feel what you want us to feel, and then do what you long for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, we had a great um, North River prayer night on Wednesday night. We had about... 60, 65 people that came out for that. You can look for the next one in about two months. In the meantime, if you're looking to be a part of a larger uh, prayer uh, body, there is a regional prayer gathering that's happening once a month on the fourth Sunday night of every month. It's going to rotate around. And this, uh, this next Sunday night, the 24th, it's meeting at the New Testament Church at Exit 2 in Plymouth. And uh, it's called the Glory of God for the South Shore. And there are many churches that are participating in this. If you want a schedule, there are some out on the, the welcome desk, uh, out in the lobby. You can find one there. A few weeks ago, our amazing executive pastor, Todd, sent me a selfie that he took while his daughter, Riley, who has her learner's permit, while she was doing some student driving. Now, I don't know what the problem was because Riley has driven with me and she did a really good job in my car. But from the look on Todd's face in this photo, well, you can judge for yourself, it looks like he was out of his comfort zone. <laughs> so you be the judge, what do you think? Does that look like a man who's at peace in that moment? I want to ask you a question. As far as you know and have experienced God so far, has the Lord ever asked you to do something that is outside of your comfort zone. Some of you are nodding, mm, yeah, like, you know, talk about it, that's where I'm at right now. Some of you aren't quite sure. This is actually a very important question because some people have this idea that any request that comes from the Lord himself should automatically make us feel good, safe, and perhaps secure. And if that request doesn't make us feel good, safe, or secure, then it must not be from God. Or the Lord didn't really mean it. Or maybe it's just optional. Or maybe it was meant for somebody else. Something like that. Now, I asked that question this morning because we're going to take a look at the Bible's account of a man who initially offered a bit of pushback to Jesus when Jesus asked him to do something that was a bit outside of his comfort zone even though his very first initial response to the Lord's call was, yes, Lord. That's the phrase that we're, we're learning, we're repeating all this month as we're in the midst of this series. Can you say that with me? Yes, Lord. 
We, we want to get in the habit of saying, yes, Lord, because in those moments when he calls and when he stretches you or when he asks you to do something that puts you in that moment of divine dislocation, in other words, being out of your zone, where you're already training your heart and your mind to say, yes, Lord, I know that even though my fears arise, you can act greatly in these moments. For anyone who may have missed the past two Sundays with us, for the month of March, we're in a series of messages that are called Affirmative. The subtitle is Saying Yes to God. And so far, we have learned about saying yes to God from Esther, a Jewish beauty queen who was living in ancient Persia. And then last week, Todd focused on a man named Barnabas who developed a lifestyle of saying yes to God. Here's the key for today. Today, we're going to focus on a man named Ananias, who for a moment thought that Jesus had lost his mind. All right, true confession. Anybody ever thought Jesus has lost his mind? When you see the way that he's beginning to direct your paths or the instructions that he gives you or with the next thought that you're discovering, you don't have to raise a hand or anything, but I'll bet that most of us at one point have entertained that thought that Jesus has absolutely lost his mind. I want to frame this message around two questions. The first one is, why did Ananias push back? The second one is, what can we learn from this man, Ananias? So let's tackle the first one. Why did Ananias push back against Jesus? The first reason is very obvious. If you know some of the background of chapter 9 in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which is the fifth book of the New Testament, this assignment was risky. If we go back a few verses before what we just read, the opening two verses of chapter 9 read this way. Meanwhile, Saul... If you know who Saul of Tarsus was, all of a sudden, ideas begin to, to flood to your mind of who he was in the early stage of his life. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem." Just hearing the name Saul of Tarsus caused many in that day to have fear. When we first meet Saul, he shows up in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, one of the very first deacons in the very first church in Jerusalem, was stoned to death for being outspoken about his faith. Luke, the author of Acts, drops two subtle clues in that chapter about Saul. First, the, the men who stoned Stephen laid their cloaks at Saul's feet. So that's, that's our first glimpse of Saul. And the second clue is that Luke tells us that Saul was approving of this execution of Stephen. Saul became a founding member of a group that today we would probably call Jews Not for Jesus. Uh, chapter 8 tells us that Saul began to go from house to house, rounding up followers of Jesus. And he was putting them in prison and all of Jerusalem was stirred up about this because it didn't matter to him whether they were men or women. If he found somebody speaking in the name of Jesus, he was carting them off. Now, here in chapter 9, Saul had made his way to Damascus, which is up in Lebanon, just north of Israel. Not content with rounding up Jewish followers in the city of Jerusalem, he had asked the chief priests for letters of introduction to the rabbis who led the synagogues in the city of Damascus. 
The reason was that if he found any people of the way, as they were called, he would arrest them too. This is one of the first names before the term Christian was coined. They followed the way of Jesus, and so they referred to themselves as people of the way. And here's the second reason why Ananias had this moment of pushback. He thought that Jesus was ill-informed. Look what happens in verse 13. We see a little bit of this dialogue. The Lord has called on, on Ananias in the midst of this vision. He said, yes, Lord. And he tells him what he wants him to do. And Ananias then answers, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The Free Dictionary defines ill-informed this way. One, not having adequate information about a situation or a subject. Two, resulting from inadequate knowledge about a situation or subject. So notice this exchange that goes on between Ananias and Jesus. Ananias begins to inform Jesus about things he should know. Just in case, Lord, you're up there in heaven, and I know that you're the Son of God, but just in case you don't know, let me tell you. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man named Saul. Uh, let me tell you about the harm that he's done to your people. And he comes with authority. I can imagine just Jesus just laughing at this. He has authority? Do you know who you're talking to? And, and he just kind of goes on. Are you aware of the plans that he has to arrest any of your people here in this city of Damascus? You know what I find amazing about this dialogue, this pushback from Ananias? We do the same thing in our culture today. We're just a little more subtle about it. We start off saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do life with you today. Here I am. And the Lord says, great. I want you to use your instrument in playing with the North River worship team rather than burying your talent somewhere. You know what we do in that moment? We push back. I'm not good enough. Oh, those, those people, they're really good. Uh, uh, that, that's a major commitment they make. Do you know that? I mean, I mean, if I did that at least once a month, I'd have to come for both services and, and I'd probably have to come to a rehearsal and, and they get here at an unbelievable hour in the morning to do that. I, I, but I, I, you know, Lord, something else. I, I can't do that. So the, the, the Lord says, great. Uh, I want your smiling face on the welcome team. Just think what it would be like. And there's somebody coming in, they're brand new, and they're trying to find their way into the church. They don't know anybody. You would be great, a great one to just stick a hand out and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and glad you're here today. And maybe you learn a name, maybe you make a friend, but you, you just go a little bit out of your zone to make somebody feel welcome. And we push back. But Lord, then I have, to, I have to greet people and meet people that I don't even know yet. And I'll shake somebody's hand and what if they have a cold or something like that? And, you know, come on. And they get here early too. And the Lord says, okay, um, let's do this. Just make it a regular habit to be in church whenever possible. Not just on the sunny days, not just when you feel like it. I want to help you build North River into a really dynamic fellowship with people who are excited to worship me. Can you do that? And we push back. We say, but Lord, Sunday's my, the one day I get to sleep in a little bit later. 
I got news for you, that one didn't go over at all at 9 o'clock. They were, they were here. I told them that you guys would probably find a little more humor in there. <laughs> Went over like a rock, you know. So the Lord says, fine. Just be a regular, principled, generous giver. That's all for now. And you know what we do? We push back with all the reasons why his priorities aren't our priorities. And we just find ways to push back. And I'm just scratching the surface. Here's the point. When we do that, we're following the early example of Ananias. We tell Jesus, I think you're ill-informed. You don't know what you're asking of me. But you know what's great about Ananias? He didn't stay there. There's a whole lot more to the story. He becomes a great example after that early pushback. You know where we find ourselves in these moments when Jesus pushes us to get out of our comfort zone? It's a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, when the whole world is running toward a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. <laughs> Truth is, that's the way we appear to some people in this world. They look at you for being here right now and say, you have lost your mind. You know all the other things that you could be chasing after rather than chasing after this elusive God who you cannot see. And it's okay sometimes for us to go against the stream. The fact of the matter is Jesus went against the stream, and when we do so, we're identifying with him. So two reasons why Ananias pushed back. The assignment was risky, and he thought Jesus was ill-informed. Now, what can we learn from the rest of the story of, from Ananias? First, Jesus is looking for people who say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Ananias was not a prominent person in the New Testament accounts. His name was actually a common Jewish name for that time. The Hebrew form of that would have been Hananiah. So if you're familiar with the old story of Daniel and his friends, one of them, the original name was Hananiah, before their names were changed to the Persian names. We often think of them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are a few different people named Ananias, three of them that are mentioned in the New Testament. The first Ananias that we meet tried to deceive people along with his wife, and he met with a rather sad ending. This Ananias is simply described here as a disciple. That's all that Luke tells us. In other words, there's nothing that he wants to report right now that tells you that this guy was anything special, any different from you or me. We only hear about this Ananias one more time in the scriptures in Acts chapter 22 when Paul is recounting this story. By the way, Saul of Tarsus eventually uh, goes by his Greek surname Paulus. Saul Paulus would have been his name, and so he becomes uh, renamed Paul in, in most of the biblical accounts. And he retells his story, and he refers to this day when he met Ananias. First, he calls him a, a devout observer of the law, meaning the Old Testament law, and then as someone who was, quote, highly respected by all the Jews living in Damascus. That's saying a lot for a Jewish Christian in a time when Jewish Christians were being rounded up and persecuted. Notice whom Jesus did not send. He did not send an apostle. He did not send a prophet. He didn't send a faith healer. He didn't send a politician or someone famous or prominent or wealthy. 
He sent an average disciple whom we never hear about except in connection to this particular day. His main contribution to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he said, yes, Lord. And then he went. And after a moment of initial pushback, he rose above his fear and above his discomfort. And he simply did the one thing that Jesus asked him to do. Here's why that's significant. I am absolutely convinced that some of the greatest moves of God occur when ordinary Christ followers simply put themselves in the habit of saying, yes, Lord. I don't know where this is going. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what the end of the story will be. Yes, Lord. Here's the second thing we learned from Ananias. Jesus looks for people who listen for his voice. Same verse. Notice one other detail. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. We just covered that. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, he said. Here's one word, his name. And he says, yes, Lord. Ananias heard and recognized Jesus' voice in a vision. We don't think of this often in our day, but Jesus spoke to a number of people in visions in those years, in those times. In a sense, this ninth chapter of Acts is bookended by two people who hear Jesus' voice long after the resurrection and long after his ascension into the heavens. First, we have Saul, who wasn't expecting to hear from Jesus at all. He was persecuting Christians. He's on his way to Damascus, and he's blinded by this great light, so great that he's blind still three days later when Ananias meets him. And the voice of Jesus calls out to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul doesn't know who's behind this light or who's behind this voice, but he knows this is somebody greater than him. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he identifies himself. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In other words, he's saying to Paul, this is very personal to me. You are rounding up my followers, people who put their faith and trust in me. This is personal to me. You may be doing it to them, but in doing it to them, you're doing it to me. And Saul all of a sudden realizes this Jesus is a force that he never understood before. That experience is contrasted with Ananias, who hears Jesus' voice in a vision. Now, we don't know if this was an extended time of prayer, if he was meditating on God, if he was deep in sleep, or uh, if all of a sudden this vision was like right in front of his eyes as he's walking down the street. None of that really matters how it happened, but he has a vision. And in this vision, he hears the voice of Jesus. And he instantly recognizes this is Jesus calling to him. How do we hear Jesus today? I believe that Jesus still speaks. I don't hear him every day. I didn't wake up this morning. He didn't say put on the green shirt because it's St. Patrick's Day and put on the blue blazer with it. I, I made those choices. That's my fault. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus speaks. It's possible 
that he will speak to you or me sometime in a vision. Not so much likely. It is more likely that he will speak to you through his word, the Bible. Now, how does that happen? Sometimes you're reading the Bible and you've, you've read something that didn't make sense before or you didn't really notice before, and all of a sudden there are words there that your eyes are drawn to and you're seeing something there that you never saw before. The Bible calls that illumination. It's the, the work of the Holy Spirit where he draws your attention to something and shines a light on it, so to speak, so that you notice something you didn't notice before and all of a sudden that becomes important, prominent. That happens to me all the time when I'm reading on my own. A word or a phrase all of a sudden seems to jump to your attention. Or he may whisper to you in the midst of a prayer. Sometimes Jesus nudges or whispers to you in the midst of a sermon at church. How about that? I, I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, you know, when you were talking about this, I thought that was all for me. Did you know that I was going through A, B, or C? The answer is no. I had no clue. That's God doing that. Sometimes he grabs your heart in the midst of worship or through a prayer. Ever been singing one of the songs that we sing here for worship and all of a sudden you see the lyric of the song in a different way and it penetrates your heart and you're fighting back tears? I can't tell you how many times that happens to me and David Cote gives me this stuff in advance so I know what's coming and there are sometimes I knew what the song was, I'd listen to the songs during the week and I'm sitting over here in my usual seat, both services, fighting off tears saying, I gotta get up and speak and I, what am I doing with this wet stuff around my eyes? Uh, that's, that's God speaking to us at a point of need, a point of vulnerability. We're going through something where the words of that song, the words of that prayer all of a sudden connect. And God does that in our lives. People who want to hear Jesus make a habit of putting themselves in places where Jesus speaks. I have no interest in guilt-tripping anybody here this morning. I have no interest in having any single one of you coming to church because you think that I pressured you to come. Boy, that's a lot of fun to address an audience like that. Oh, great, I'm here because somebody made me come. But I think that we as a culture are missing out on something today where we've made church something optional. Optional. Or that we do once in a while when, when everything's great. And here's the problem with that. Every single person I meet, whether they are a seeker trying to find answers or they're a long-term Christ follower, wants to hear from God, wants direction from God, wants God's advice, wants to know what is he saying to me today. And I don't know about you, but one of the places where God most regularly nudges, whispers, or speaks to me is in the community of the church. When we are gathered together, when we are doing the things that we do here, we're opening God's word and we're letting his word penetrate our hearts. We're praying together. We are worshiping him. And it's amazing how many times there's something in the service that goes in a direction that I didn't expect at all, even though I was involved in the planning of it. Because that's where God speaks. So, I, I would love for you to be on my team in this sense. 
with the friends that we know, with the family members that we have, can you find a way to convey that to them? They don't need to be here to make me and our staff feel good or pad our numbers. But if they want to hear from Jesus, it is more likely that we are going to hear from him in the midst of the fellowship of people who are seeking him together and worshiping him openly than almost anywhere else in life. I just don't want people to miss out. Make sense? Jesus is looking for people who listen for his voice. And I think he speaks far more often than we realize, but sometimes we're just not listening because everything else is more important. Third thing we can learn from Ananias. Jesus looks for people, I love this one, Jesus looks for people who get up and go. <laughs> so I could jump forward a couple of verses. He's been pushing back, and the Lord has enough, and the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. The two most important words in there are go and then. Remember how we saw Ananias was telling Jesus that he was ill-informed? That observation was partly due to this one-word response from Jesus. Go! There's a lot behind that. Go, stop talking, stop dancing, stop making excuses. Go, you're wasting time. Just go, Ananias. I don't know about you, but I get the sense that Jesus was a bit annoyed with Ananias. <laughs> it wasn't the time to be cute. Just go. Sometimes that's exactly what I need to hear from Jesus. Paul, just, just go. Stop thinking about it so much. Stop trying to create an excuse or something else that's more important. Just go and do it. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to hear from Jesus. Go. This is when Ananias figured out that this was not about him some of you remember the opening line of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. It starts the whole book by saying, it's not about you. What Jesus was doing here was not all about Ananias, but before he continued his work in Saul's life, he needed Ananias to go and to respond. Ananias ended up playing an important short-term role in the life of Saul of Tarsus. First, he calls him Brother Saul and welcomed him into the fellowship. Second, he put his hands on Saul and he prayed for him. Remember, Saul's blind. He's been there for three days. He's fasting and praying. He's not sure what's happening here. But Jesus met him on that road, blinded him, spoke to him, told him that this was personal. And now he's praying and he's waiting for someone to come. Third, he was the first person other than Jesus who believed that Saul was his chosen instrument for reaching the Gentile people and their kings and even many of the leaders in Israel. Fourth, he was an instrument of healing in Saul's life. He prays for him, and it says that something like scales fell off his eyes. I don't know what that means. Whether he had some crusty junk in his eyes, that there'd been an infection there. We, we don't know. We can only speculate. But instantly he can see after that prayer. We're not told that Ananias ever had anything like this happen when he prayed before. And then 
He baptized Saul. Can you imagine meeting this guy in heaven? Hey, I'm Ananias. You know, common name, a whole bunch of Ananiases that are here. Oh, yeah, which one are you? Well, I'm the guy that one day uh, had a vision. God said, go. You're not going to believe what happened, but I, I met this crazy character that everybody's terrified of, this ruthless guy, this terrorist, if you will, named Saul of Tarsus. And I got to welcome him into the fellowship. I got to pray over him. When I prayed, his, his eyesight was restored. You're not going to believe this. I got to baptize Saul of Tarsus into the fellowship, marking the, the new beginning of his life. And then I got to introduce him to the rest of the believers that were there in, in Damascus. You know what I'm going to say if I meet him? That's really cool, man. That's unbelievable. You got to do that. Saul, the guy that ended up writing half of the New Testament. Amazing stories of where God took him. See, yeah, I'm just a nobody, but I had this one day. You know what I know about you and me? Most of us are pretty average people. In our own eyes, we're nobodies. But nobodies who say yes to God on a regular basis can have some amazing days that lead to results that are far beyond our imagination. And I believe that to the core of my being. Two weeks ago, I mentioned this quote from Billy Graham. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. I like that. So on this day, after dancing around a little bit, when Jesus says go, Ananias steps forward. And you know whose spine was stiffened? Saul of Tarsus. Wow. Verse 22, same chapter says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Almost instantaneously, the teaching, of mission, teaching mission of Saul emerges. One last thing. Jesus looks for people who get up and go even when they don't see all that God is doing. So the Lord says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What was it that Ananias couldn't see? Ananias was an ordinary Christian who would play a key role in God's work in someone else's life. That person ended up being Saul, and the chosen instrument of God was Saul, who seemed the least likely person to represent Jesus on that day to anyone, let alone to kings and rulers. But in the process, Saul, who had already caused the suffering of many Christians, would willingly suffer himself greatly in order to be able to have the next opportunity to tell somebody else about Jesus. What an amazing turnaround. Do you notice what else changed for Ananias when Jesus mentioned Saul's suffering? Suddenly there was no more pushback in regard to his comfort zones. There is something about the awareness of some other person's suffering that always puts our bit of discomfort into perspective. Ever notice that? The song that, that uh, David and the team sang just before this message, 
made the point that God made something beautiful out of brokenness. And he did that in Saul's life too. And Ananias just caught a glimpse of that. And Ananias heard from Jesus about the good news that would be proclaimed even to kings. Jesus was giving him a brief glimpse of how far the gospel would spread. That this man that he was going to pray over was chosen to play a pivotal role in the spread of the gospel in the first century. And that same Saul of Tarsus was now praying to Jesus and awaiting Ananias. And Ananias would then play a small part in something really big. It wasn't about him. But he would welcome, feed, pray for, baptize, and introduce Saul into the local fellowship there in that city. And Ananias would be a link in a longer chain that represented God's work in Saul's life. Cliff Connectly is a pastor in Connecticut who has had a decades-long evangelistic ministry on several university campuses. He realized at one point that when he talks to people who are skeptical about faith in Jesus, that he never would know in advance what role he would play in that person's life or faith development. He put it like this. Sometimes I'm the first link. Sometimes I'm the last link. Sometimes I'm a middle link. The only thing I don't want to be is a missing link. You know, sometimes we're the first link that helps us connect somebody to the pathway to Jesus. Sometimes we're that final link where we get to walk them over that bridge to faith. Sometimes, most of the time, we're somewhere in the middle. The only thing we don't want to be is a missing link. And all that leads to this main idea that we've been talking about this morning, building toward. Jesus is looking for people who say yes and then boldly step forward without knowing all that God is doing. Does that make sense to you? Jesus is looking for people who say yes and then step forward boldly even though we don't know where it's going to lead and all that he's doing. And he asks us to embrace that tension. This is where we live. Stepping forward in faith, leaving the results to a God who does bigger and greater things through small, mundane acts of faithfulness. And that's why we're conditioning our hearts to say, yes, Lord, right? Just say that with me one more time. Yes, yes Lord. Father God, thank you for allowing us to gather together here today to laugh a little bit, to worship a bit, to probe your word, but most of all, I think where you're nudging us right now is to say, yes, Lord, I, I want my heart and my mind to be conditioned by you so that I'm prepared to say yes when you surprise me, when you call on me to step out of my comfort zone, when you call on me to learn something new or to take what I've learned and to put it into practice. When you want to do something great in somebody else's life and I'm just a small link in the chain, help each of us to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for the way that you touch us when we are together. And I ask that you would receive worship from us again as we finish this service. 
receive the gifts and the offerings that we bring. And we ask that during this week, in some way, shape, or form, when we're slowing down enough to listen, that you will nudge, push, speak, or whisper. Because we're getting ready to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this. This is good stuff. Two more weeks. Uh, I'm going to call on our ushers to come, and we get to respond to God by giving back to the work that he is doing through us and with us. Thank you for being generous toward God. Whether you do that online, whether you do that here physically, thank you for doing that. And we've got one great song we're going to sing about the greatness of our God.